This is the Freedom Media Network. And first, I want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Cultivate Elevate. A couple weeks ago, we featured Matt, the founder of Cultivate Elevate, on this podcast, and we talked about all the ways in which their organic, natural products can help you and how I, you know, those products have become a staple of my day. Each and every day, I take their six mix mushroom powder with my coffee. I take their ginkgo biloba in the afternoon. I take their shilajit in the morning, shilajat, whatever you want to call it. It helps my mood. It helps my gut health. It helps my joints, especially when I go hiking here at altitude. It also helps protect me from EMF radiation. And if you think that's tinfoil hat time, go back and listen to that episode. And guess what? In the show notes or wherever you're watching this, there's a link. You can click that link. You go to shop at Cultivate Elevate. Guess what? You get 10% off their products. 10% off. Go click the link. Go to kurtmercadante.life. There's a number of ways you can find the link. Click it. Go shop. 10% off. You're welcome for offering you that deal. Hey there, freedom lovers. This is Kurt Mercadante, and you're listening to the Freedom Media Network. In today's episode, we're bringing you part one of our interview with Aaron Urban. Part two will be on Wednesday. Now, what we're discussing with Aaron really boils down to your emotions of fear or love, and whether you make better decisions, more creative decisions, or worse, less creative decisions, whether you're operating from an emotional state of fear or of love. Now, Erin, she's not only a neuroscience nerd, and we get into some neuroscience today, but she's a certified executive and leadership coach with over a decade in coaching and consulting successful professional transformations for leaders and teams. She's also an international speaker. As I mentioned, she's a neuroscience nerd, host of the Career Coffee Chat podcast, and author of the best-selling book, Elevate Your Career, More Impact, More Income. She's a Forbes Coaches Council member, certified in leadership psychology, and a self-proclaimed recovering perfectionist living between Austin and Houston, Texas. I'm really pleased to bring you this interview with Aaron. Again, we really get into, you know, you've heard me share it before on this show, but there's a simple equation. Your beliefs fuel your thoughts. You attach emotions to those thoughts, which fuel your actions, which fuel your results. Now, your decisions really are with your actions, right? Whether to take this action or that action. And so it stems from your emotions through your thoughts. So if you're in a state of fear, your thoughts are going to stem from that and your your actions will stem from that state. If you're in a state of love, you're maybe a little bit more calm, right? And so it's my assertion that you make creative, more better, more better, uh, better decisions from a state of love versus a state of fear. We've certainly seen the repercussions over the last two years, but Aaron and I get more into that today. Again, this is episode one. Come back on Wednesday for episode two. And without further ado, here's my interview with Aaron Urban. And, you know, I really believe that our creative flow, when we allow it to happen, is our greatest superpower. And that's when we make the best decisions for each facet of our life. But, you know, especially over the last year and a half, but looking back over the hundred, last hundred years, someone commented on LinkedIn when I announced this show, like, well, what are some examples of fear-based decision? And I just listed them. Everything from the Holocaust to the Japanese internment to lockdown to, you know, to a number of things, but even bringing it practically to our lives that when we get in a state of fear, 
It's a survival response. It's great. A bear jumps out in front of me. I want my fear response to be there. You know, there are certain things we're talking about. We're here in Sedona right now, wildfire. You know, I'm not going to be fearful every day, but I'm going to be ready. And if that fire is there, I'm fearful and I'm getting the hell out of here. Right. And so that helps. But, um, you know, when we're in that state all the time from our career decisions to our relationship decisions to (laughs) whatever decision we make and success, and you're doing a lot of study and success. And when I decided to do this, um, you were one of the first people I reached out to because not only your work with folks and, and helping them elevate their career, which is Hint, 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 the name of your book, your best-selling book. (laughs) But also you've studied success, leadership, psychology, uh, neuroscience. You write a lot about that in your book. And habits. We recently talked to Randy Gage about habits, which I'd love to chat with you about. And how a lot of those, that fear, yeah, it's a survival response if a bear jumps out in front of us. But even going deeper than that, is it possible that we're programmed and conditioned? I mean, I see people... Here in Sedona, there's something called Devil's Bridge with this little thin strip. And I'm like walking out there like, okay, okay, okay. There's people sitting there swinging their legs and everything. They have a different programming than I do somehow. Clearly, yeah. Is it possible that that fear is programmed into us from a young age? Yes. Yes. Actually, there are some individuals that advocate that a lot of this fear is actually programmed into us earlier um, at the DNA level. Mm-hmm. Looking at our familial structures and where we come into this world and what has been set up to us or for us on a DNA level. Now, when you really break it down and you want to go back thousands of years, human evolution has actually helped define a more fear program or fear. Um, I would have to say we lean towards fear, right? Mm-hmm. We lean towards the negative. And when you look at it, when, the, when scientists explain this, it kind of makes sense. Those people who saw the bear said, holy snot, I'm running away right now, live longer, right? (laughs) Right. The people who had a more elevated sense of fear or saw the negative in things were more likely to live longer historically. Enter today. We live in a very interesting time right now. One, we're in a strong change cycle. There's a lot going on. There's a lot changing in our social structures, our economic structures, how we work, how we live, how we interact. We're also at, I feel like, a pivotal point in our human evolution as well. Because up to this point, thousands, thousands and thousands of years developed this more negative base is actually sabotaging us from evolving further as human beings, particularly in the socioeconomic structures we have put, you know, put around ourselves. We don't necessarily need to be afraid all the time, yet you would be amazed how many people are afraid every moment of every day. And they're totally unaware of it. Interesting. We're at a very, very important time right now. Is it... You know, I feel like, and and, uh, sometimes when I'm bored, I will go into uh, just, you know, I'll go to uh, everyone's best friend. I don't use Google, but I'll I'll, I'll use a search engine and I'll I'll go back and look at other, you know, I'm a Gallup strengths trainer. And so one of my top five strengths is context. I'm not futuristic. I have context, which means I look to the past Hmm. for solutions to the present and future. And I always... I always love connecting the dots between things that were written 
50 years ago, 100 years ago, or things we went, we, we, we went through. And, and I know it's, it's that whole thing of, oh, is it snowflake culture, et cetera. And probably every society has that to some way, way shape, or form, right? You're not like my grandpa was, et cetera. But when you look at certain things, certainly um, I remember uh, when I was working in politics, people would say, this is the most angry, ugly time. And that was 10 years ago we've ever been in. But if you actually look at like the record, uh, the congressional record, it's like people were call- calling each other yellow because they were t- during World War II, you know, and, and uh, you know, back around the Civil War, actually later, I think, people were beaten to within an inch of their lives on the floor of Congress. Mm-hmm. It's like, are we really in the angriest time or is it just that we know about every shooting, every hurricane, everything that every politician says within three seconds of it happening. I mean, I know someone who constantly has the weather on all day and is constantly being fed with, oh my gosh, there's a storm in Costa Rica. Oh my gosh, there's this. He knows everything that's going on. He knows- The world is about to end. The sky is falling. Yes. Yes, we live in a sky is falling world because we're inundated by information all the time. So it's aggravating that natural instinct, which is very, very animalistic, FYI, and it lives our limbic system in our brain that says, oh, the world is coming to an end. And, and here's what's happening. What's happening is change. And change is, is naturally tr- a trigger for a lot of people. So yes, we are living a very strong change cycle. Here's the thing. We are also unprecedentedly bombarded, bombarded by information, which if you look over the human lifespan, the human evolutionary lifespan, is just, it doesn't even register. <laughs> like the last 10, 15 years is, you know, smartphones, you know, these things going on. We've got Google, all this. It's just happened. It's literally just a rip. You're just a, 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 you showed up on the whole spectrum. It's not even a blip yet. Right. Right. Yet, we are expected to somehow magically handle this <laughs> influx of information and new technology in some masterful way. Well, quite frankly, ladies and gentlemen, we are a product of our evolution. We haven't gotten there yet. Now, we are getting there. But we're not giving ourselves a space and grace, nor are we managing ourselves very wisely. Those people who will achieve massive success in their lives are really people who can manage themselves. And it may not be what you think it is. Um, I want to get. I want to touch back on that. But for for everyone listening, I'd like to step back. Can you explain? You, you mentioned the limbic system because it's mm-hmm. it's key to how we make decisions, key to success, key to yes. fear versus love. Can you explain for the listeners the limbic system and how that impacts our daily lives? Right. So I will oversimplify this. I am not a PhD neuroscientist. I study the heck out of it. So the limbic system is that core central nugget inside your brain. It's actually quite small um, compared to the fluffy stuff. That's a later edition. That's a homeosapien brain. Um, and the homeosapien brain, the fluffy stuff, that's the center of all you know, logic and, and um, conscious thought and um, critical decision making and these kinds of things where you go, know, wait a minute, I think this, I feel this way, but I have a choice, right? The limbic system is the center of your emotions. Um, it's the, it's really, it's also the center of all your habits <laughs> and your instinctual drives and those things that 
operate unconsciously, as well as all the things that keep you running as a human being, which is important, heartbeat and the like. But it's our animals, our ancient part of our brain. Um, and what's interesting is the limbic system is drives mindset. So if we, we let's just say you repeat something over and over and over, it becomes a habit, whether that's mental or physical, doesn't matter. Or articulated habits, we have them. Like, you know, you know, you've heard those people, yeah. So you do that enough and it becomes a habit. It's actually a program. Hmm. And it goes into your cerebellum, which is back here. It's also part of the limbic system. It hangs off the backside of it. And that is the seat of all your habits that just keep showing up. So that's what your limbic system does. It drives all these habitual responses. Your fluffy stuff, the more later part of the brain, that's the part of the brain that I would say is the hope for humanity because that's the part that can go, wait a minute. I don't have to act like this. I don't have to yeah. feel like this. I don't have to be like I can change. Right. I don't have to react like an amoeba. And that and that the limbic system is something. I mean, squirrels. If you look, if if a storm comes, you can watch out and you see the rabbits and the squirrels. They come in. I mean, it, it, we'd watch in hurricanes, mm -hmm. and they would find their ways to safety. Yes, absolutely. But the difference, is, or, or a young child, right, touches the stove once or twice. It's programmed. I'm not going to do that again. Mm -hmm. I burnt myself. But it, it it seems like that ladder system you talked about is. Uh, ladder, L-A-T-T-E-R, not ladder, uh, our, critic, our, our thinking, right, that where we can say, oh, and, and think about it, 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 it seems like a little blessing and a curse, because whereas the squirrels and the bunnies, they have their innate actions when a storm is coming, they don't sit around all day watching the news thinking the storm is going to come, and oh my gosh, I'm going to be frozen <laughs> in time, right? So it's a blessing and a curse for us where we have that ability to think creatively and critically, but I guess it becomes a, a, a bit of a curse when that's all we do is sit and think about the bad stuff that's coming and the storm is coming and, oh my gosh, we got it, you know. <laughs> well, here's the thing. You are a product of your inputs, full stop. Mm. If you are not careful with what you ingest informationally, that it, it absolutely impacts your mindset down to the music you listen to everything i was coaching a client and great example he we were talking i was like gosh you we'll call him andrew andrew you seem really angry today what's going on you know it's like i noticed you you seem very worked up about how leadership should be like this and this is this is the problem with the world and he's like rah, rah. i was like what's going on? what are you what are you listening to in the morning before you get to work he goes oh i listen to this radio talk show you know basically they pick apart you know how bad the world you know everything's going to heck in a handbasket and right i was like hey, let's let's do a little experiment <laughs> try not listening to that for two weeks and see what mm -hmm. actually it's just one how about just one and then and then just observe how do you feel and he he wrote me back he sent me an email he goes hey um after one week is jury's jury's in that's definitely helping that's definitely uh, you know causing this angst he's like i feel so much less angry i'm not as angry i'm not as stressed so we are a product of our inputs yeah. and here we are we're, we're homo sapiens we have evolved to a point we we are not computers yet we we, we are not used to this much information now what's interesting is the new generations our younger generations can handle the influx of information maybe a little differently 
than someone who is, let's just say, um, in their later part of their life, right? Mm-hmm. So we are seeing we are seeing changes. You'd be amazing how fast evolution can truly be. However, it's it takes time, <laughs> and what what we're not doing as as human beings, we're not being responsible about how we were evolving. We're just mm. whatever happens, you know, we're throwing it all up. Can we be yeah. more responsible about it? Just a thought. Well, and it's and it's interesting because there are people I know, people in my family, not my direct, not my immediate family, but people in my family. I've had clients who your client apparently did the experiment and shut the TV off for a while. There are people I know. If you suggest that to them, I mean, it's like an addict. It's like taking a bottle is, away from an is. addict. You know, it or is. pulling someone away from the casino table. Yes. And it's not just social media. I mean, the, the, the social dilemma talked about the, you know, it's like being at a slot machine, it's TV. It's also books. I mean, it's like you see something on TV and then you got to buy the book and I'm reading the book and now I'm, I read it right before I go to bed and I'm angry. All of a sudden it's gospel. And people think that, oh no, I'm managing it fine. It, it's like an alcoholic. Oh no, I'm managing it fine. I'm not getting sleep. I'm, I'm watching social media, but I'm managing it fine. And meanwhile, they're hysterical. <laughs> Right, right. And here, you know, what's interesting is, you know, we, gosh, there's so many people completely unaware of the impacts of their actions and what they're doing to themselves. And because of this lack of awareness, I would have to say plus 90s and high 90s percent of our culture live in a state of panic and fear all the time. There isn't a, there's very few people, because you know them when you run across them, that truly live in what I call heart-centered. So we can throw out the word love. I like the word love, but uh, people attach it to another word. It starts with L, and it's four letters, and it's not love. <laughs> right? That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about this, you know, if, you, if you have children, for example, um, you know how you feel about your kids. That, that's what I'm talking about, that all-expansive, almost unarticulate, you can't even, you can't even really wrap the mind around it because it's so expansive that's what i'm talking about being heart-centered mm-hmm. and and we don't have people living in that space because one they were never taught to find it in the first place they found fear they're familiar with that they're familiar with fear they're very familiar with that not necessarily understanding the other state and that's a big problem because what i found just to over summarize all the work I've been doing for the past couple of years is that when you are in that heart-centered space, that's when you have success. Interesting. Interesting. Not in a fear-based space. Can't. Is it is it possible to confuse love with fear in terms of there's there's a uh, there's an interesting show, and it's probably bad programming for my brain. I know uh, on Netflix it was a series called Sweet Tooth, mm. and it's based mm. on a yeah. A comic from 2009. They swear the script was written pre-pandemic, but it's about a pandemic that sweeps through. There are scenes in there about temperature checks and masks and all this stuff. It's very interesting, right? But in there, there's an interesting scene. And it shows what happens in a community. This community is based on fear. And it's kind of like you see them and they're all happy. They're all happy. But meanwhile, all of a sudden, a guy's like the telltale sign of the, of the virus is your pinky start shaking. In the middle of a party, they go from happiness. They stop it. They wrap him in cellophane and burn his house down with him in it. 
And so what's going through my head is they might say, no, I'm doing that out of love for my loved ones because I don't want them to put them in danger. Mm -hmm. So I'm willing to mow down the entire city to save my family. But that's love. That's not out of fear. So do you see what I'm saying about, be, 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 mm-hmm. about like, hey, I really love myself, so I'm going to kill 300 people in order. <laughs> do you see what I'm saying? Like, right, right, yeah. So the the inability to understand <laughs> that love is all encompassing, not just situational, and, uh, and I will help you. I will help you understand that's not easy. Okay, um, and it's not comfortable. Not comfortable. Uh, give give you an example. I'm doing my best to be in a heart centered space. Really am, and it's it's a work in progress. We all are works in progress. So give yourself some space and grace. And I have squirrels that are stripping the bark off my trees. <laughs> and I don't have a problem with squirrels. There are a lot of people who hate squirrels. I found this out. Crazy people. But anyway, I don't have a problem with squirrels. I know they can be pests, and yes, they can eat your house, and they can do terrible things. I, I don't dislike squirrels. But I found myself in a place going, what in the world am I going to do with these squirrels? <laughs> I have to hurt the squirrels to save the trees. That's not right to me. Why do I have to make this choice? You know, and I'm sitting here going, okay, how can I do the best for everybody? So I've got some traps. I have a choice. I can shoot squirrels. That's not love-centered. Not at all. Um, And, you know, I don't like killing things. That's terrible. So why not try trapping? And then put them out there somewhere where they have lots of food, right? That's a more heart-centered decision Hmm. versus maybe something else, a different avenue. Um, So, yes, people don't necessarily... Hmm. Don't necessarily confuse love and fear. They confuse. They justify their actions. We all do. Yeah. We yeah. all do that. Yeah. We all do. And if you think you don't, you're lying. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And, and it's like you know, it's it's. There's certain decisions my wife and I make for ourselves over the and our family over the last year and a half. And I I always kind of just I don't joke about it, but like if this was the virus from like, Bruce, uh, uh, what's his name? Will Smith's I Am Legend. Maybe we'd make different decisions. Like that's, a, you know, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I also think that, um, you know, take, I, I'm always amazed at how pre-pandemic, right, one of the biggest causes was mental health and suicide. And now it's as if you bring up suicides and it's a conspiracy theory. You know, and I mean, some of the statistics coming out about suicides are terrible. through the rough kids. Terrible. Yeah, kids. I mean, the fact that people are sweeping uh, mental health because of isolation under the rug. I've studied isolation, by the way, during the pandemic. I studied, I studied what white papers I could find on the, the um, outcomes of isolation. And it explains a lot of the behaviors we saw during and, and still after the pandemic. One of them is a decrease in critical thinking skills. <laughs> yeah. Another one is basically what you can summarize as tribalism. Mm, yeah. Sound familiar? Um, another one is, uh, what was it? Wild emotional swings, particularly towards the negative. Mm-hmm. Um, the inability to accept, it, it's along with tribalism, but the inability to accept ideas counter to your own. Mm. Um, your uh, IQ or EQ, depending on, you know, emotional quota or emotional intelligence factor, uh, decrease. I could go on. Yeah. 
Um, they even, haven't even seen um, that your IQ will decrease in isolation. Isolation is not healthy for the human being. We are social creatures. We need other creatures, um, like you know, to interact with. So, yeah, it, it explains a lot of the the anger, the the fear. The, the extremes of emotional responses, the fact that now we have a kind of a fad that we have to take some wild stance on something right. um, as our banner. That's like the new thing. I have to take some extreme stance on whatever. That's like a new thing. I'm not sure it's really a new thing or if it's just an outgrowth of what, what we've been through and the isolation and, and by the way, the, and I'll shut up. Um, and the fact that algorithms make it all worse. Yeah, algorithms right. show you exactly what you know and, and already like, which means you're never getting new information. And if you don't get new information, your neuro, oh, that's the other thing, your neuroplasticity, which is your ability to form new ideas and concepts and accept new ideas and concepts and grow as a person, that goes, that yeah. should smear you. Yeah, and it's and it's a double-edged sword, right? Because we're in a, we're in an era, in some ways, in many ways, more information at our fingertips can be healthy in order to make better decisions, right? You you look you can look at historical precedents of horrible decisions that were made and make up your own mind. Now, other people who don't do that think you're crazy. It's like, well, there's this, that, and the other thing. Yeah, the problem is people confuse search with research, and they're not the same. Well, that's true. Right? Um, you're getting algorithms shoved in your face, whether you like it or not. You actually have to be very intentional to get new, unique information that's not already something that you have demonstrated to uh, the bots on the Internet and all that that you that that you already like or already uh, um, have allegiance to or already interested in. You you have to be intentional about it, but people aren't. Yeah. And also, don't think you just Google something and then know everything there is to know about it. There, there's more to it than that. And yes, it takes a little time and patience, but see, we're in an information and patient society. Well, that's why I don't use Google. Uh, and I, and I, <laughs> I try to avoid it as much as, uh, uh, the algorithms as much as possible. I use, you know, Brave, DuckDuckGo, things where they don't know where I'm at, so I can try to to do. And it, the search results are quite interesting. What you get versus what you get on Google. Mm -hmm. um, one piece, and and I think this not only can apply to the last year and a half, but it can also apply to anything in our our career growth, our business. Where if you get so fixated. Probably because of all the, the what you mentioned with isolation and all the, mm -hmm. the, the outgrowths of that. But but taking, for instance, the suicides, right? There's a growth in suicides. There's a growth in a number of things. People weren't getting cancer screening. On and on and on. Fear, I feel like, can cause us to look at a dot on a graph. And we become so focused on lowering that dot on the graph. Now, you could do that. When you, when you mention a heart-centered approach, like, okay, squirrels, dead, right? But what's, what's the karmic <laughs> ripple effect of that, right? What does it do to you, you know, really? <laughs> but, but if you look at the, if, you, if, if all you're doing is lowering that down in the graph, you need to pay attention to the other dots that go up as you lower that one dot. Suicides are one of them, right? It's, it's like whack-a-mole. Oh, I hit this over here, or I put, you, you know, it, the dam. 
oh, I plugged the dam, now there's 15 other things. Well, don't talk about those 15 other things. But it, it can, you know, I mean, you and I coach and we sell, right? And, and some people just won't jump in because they're so focused on this. And it's like, right, but if, you know. I have a great example for you. Yeah. One of, one of the biggest things, that, not the only thing, but one of them that keeps people stagnated in their careers and in their lives mm. is the fear of the unknown. Mm. They are afraid that the, the, the old adage is correct. You know, the devil you know is better than the devil you don't. That's not necessarily true at all. In fact, my career in life has proven that not to be true. And I got massive results out of taking risks, calculated risks, but they were risks. Mm-hmm. You're, if you are overly risk averse, which I think is what we're starting to see in a lot of a lot of people, or some people are just naturally that way. But if you're over overly risk averse, you end up stunting your own growth as a human being and in your career, or if you're an entrepreneur in your business, whatever that looks like. So this one young lady still has not signed up to coach with me and she keeps reaching out well and asking a question like you know she i know she desperately desperately we've talked about it, she desperately wants something better she's stuck in a go nowhere job in fact it's seriously go nowhere and that whole program she's a, a, a you know, technical programmer the whole program she's working on is like dead <laughs> that was like this company uses it but nobody else does if she doesn't get out of there and, and do something she's going to find herself in a serious mess bad position and she's scared she's terrified now and also we tell ourselves we're not good enough so the fear thing goes very deep you know we're we're afraid that we're afraid of failure we're afraid we're not good enough we are afraid that we you know can't do whatever it is so there's so many things that hold us back and sabotage success every day and we don't even think about it we're not conscious of it with, with, with and, and you're an extended DISC certified mm-hmm. coach. Um, I'm just a plain old DISC certified. So you're, you're the expert. But, but when you look at people's behavioral styles, which certainly can change based on the, the circumstance, you know, I, mm-hmm. I sell as interactive, which I have to pull myself back, but I buy as D. Like, don't mess with me. I'm here to buy. I'm in, I'm out, right? So um, don't sell me. <laughs> but if someone's like an S, a steady, more mm-hmm. calculating, and you know, I've had there's there's steady and calculating people who once they get their questions answered and once they kind of feel comfortable, they take action. Right. There's some people who get stuck. To what to what extent do those behaviors arise from conditioning versus uh, I mean external conditioning versus say DNA? Mm-hmm. And how if someone is say a steady or calculating where it's just endless questions for a year and maybe they're also using it as a crutch. What advice do you have to them for them to get past that, to bring a little more D into their lives, right? To, to take mm-hmm. action. Give themselves a deadline. Yeah. You have to oh. give yourself a deadline. You have to. Otherwise they'll just go on forever. And this is why I don't use the term to do list because it implies something that nebulously happens in the future and you never get it done. It's an action list and you put it, you put a date. Uh, and you also give yourself space and grace because life happens. However, you have to give yourself a deadline. And the, and the carrot has to be bigger than the stick. <laughs> yeah. And you also have to decide which one's more important for you. Is it the stick or the carrot? There are some people that just want the stick. Hmm. You know, 
Uh, well, human beings are extraordinarily complex. And while we can try to put people, oh, you're a D or you're an I or you're a C or you're an S, it's, it's more than that. There's conditional factors. There's your, your familial structure, how you were brought up, your culture, right? There's so many layers, and it's important as a coach to understand that and help someone unpack that based on what they want to accomplish. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. What, going way back, because I digressed and I meant to come back, you talked about the information that we're getting, that mm. you know, our evolution hasn't yet caught up to just the flood of information we're getting mm. probably in, a, in the average day. And you mentioned managing it, mm-hmm. and you, you, you hinted that, which may seem a little different than you might think when you're managing it. What are some ways that people can manage that and the, and the fear-based programming, I, the fear pornography that comes at us like every minute? Mm-hmm. Well, one thing we need to decide is you need to decide how you want to be. And what I encourage people to do is when we talk about awareness, for example, is really becoming conscious of the unconscious. You need to decide how you want to be and then build your life and your energy plan and what you do in your activities around that. Additionally, whenever someone is, let's just say, struggling, like my client was, you know, coming in and he was all angry at the office, he was just mad at everything, and all of a sudden, you know, leadership was a you know, big bunch of windbags, and everything was just, you know, and he stopped listening to this negative, <laughs> negatively reinforcing show in the mornings. Big difference. Pay attention to your inputs. <laughs> they matter. And if that means disconnecting from social media, Disconnect from social media. Manage it. Don't let, because if you don't manage it, it will manage you. Yeah. I'm totally unaware of it. But it is managing you, and you don't know it. So we have to manage it ourselves. We need to be the authors of our lives. Not allow everybody else to be the author of our lives. Yeah. You yeah. do that. So I decide, okay, I if I go on Facebook, which I rarely do, I'm going to go here, I'm going to go there, I'm going to look at this, I'm going to scroll past, I have to manage, scroll past, and I'm setting a timer. And thank you so much for listening to this, which was part one of our interview with Aaron. Please come back on Wednesday to listen to part two of our discussion with Aaron Urban. We'll see you then. (laughs) 